0: opera acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger, and today I have the privilege of speaking with four exceptional women, well, over two episodes. Yes, it's going to be an all-female cast on these episodes, and that's for very good reason. We're meeting women in surgery, for them to paint a picture of the world of surgery and why they chose it. I'm sure we'll not only hear some of the challenges of working in a very demanding career, but one where women continue to be significantly underrepresented. So let's get going. Today's guests are Victoria Atkinson and Vera Salin. We'll start with you, Victoria. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Susan. And it's great to be here.
1: Uh, My name is Victoria Atkinson. I am a a cardiothoracic surgeon by trade. I worked at the Royal Melbourne for many years as a consultant and have now moved into an executive role as the chief medical officer for the HealthScope group of hospitals as well. And I'm also the mother of four children. And how
0: about you, Vera?
2: Thank you very much, Susan. Thanks for inviting me. Um, (laughs) My name is Vera Salen. I'm an orthopedic surgeon uh, with a combined general orthopedic, public and private practice in Melbourne and Bendigo. Um, I do have a special interest in hip and knee and also upper limb, um, shoulder and wrist and hand surgery. Um, And yeah, I'm passionate about what, what I do and I'm a mother
0: of two. Thank you and welcome. So we see from the statistics that women are underrepresented in your field. Do you notice
1: that? When I graduated um, you know, got my fellowship, I do remember being in the in the College of Surgeons and they they present you to the court of examiners. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to. And of course, the men folk would all get the college tie. So they would announce you, you would get your tie and you would go in and meet with the examiners. And then they sort of <laughs> when I got to the top of the stairs, they sort of went, Oh, first of all, they didn't know what to call me because in Victoria it's still Mr. So they were so sort of like, and then they looked around to see what they were supposed to keep giving me and it was sort of a scarf thing. So I think when I, back in the day, there was only a handful of female cardiac surgeons in the country and you certainly, I felt, on my good days I would call it a novelty and there are some days when you're in the mood for that and there are some days where you just don't want to have that asterisk next to your name. You just want to walk into the room and be a surgeon and there, would, there was probably not many days that went by or many weeks, maybe, um, where a patient or a family didn't comment on it, or ask me if I was really going to do the operation, or um, it, it just a, a t- even in, in, with good intent, it's just a topic of interest or a topic of, and you know, at its at its worst, it obviously can be more. So I think that novelty factor for me, depending on my day, wore a little thin. And then the other times, sometimes you you sort of the unicorn, you <laughs> know, you're sort of the the rare the rare beast, um, and occasionally that would be used to sort of say, "Look how progressive we are." I've got the trophy, um, and and then of course there was, you know, we could all, I'm sure, surgeons in general, but but female surgeons. I could certainly, you know, I could sit here and rattle off the stories that probably people listening to this are expecting to hear, because there were certainly some of those stories. But equally, there have been some incredible stories of just support and promotion of women in surgery and. I have, over the journey, felt this incredible, um, there, it has been an incredible transition. There's still a ways to go, but compared to when I graduated or got my fellowship to now, even the conversations are different.
0: And has that been your experience as well, Vera, that, that uh, the conversations are different from where they were maybe 20 years ago?
2: Yeah, uh, definitely. At least the awareness is there, and and yes, we often um, and Victoria, you would agree to that. You, you sit in a in a meeting and you're the only woman, and we get used to that. We we got used to that over over during our training, and and um, as we as we know, that's not ideal um, to to have that or not having the sort of diverse uh, diversity within the team for the patient's care. Ultimately, um, it is what we sort of adjusted to.
1: And Victoria? I do remember standing in my theatre once and I had a female registrar, a female anaesthetist, a female anaesthetic registrar, a female scrub team and a female perfusionist and just standing there going, the ladies have arrived. You know, like it was a great, it was actually a really great moment to just pause for a second and say what does this mean in the wider context? Probably the underrepresentation for me um, has also been when I go and give talks at women in surgery forums and things, inevitably there's a woman a doctor who puts up her hand and says look I just don't know if I'm the the type I just don't know if I'm I want that lifestyle and I the assumptions that young doctors are making about themselves and about surgery I think is also they are opting out pretty early based on what they think they know and I think that is where I get most fired up and most passionate about speaking about what it is and what the myths are and what you can make it because we need all types, there isn't one type to go in, whether that's male, female, you know. I think people have a stereotypical impression of of what a surgeon is, and I think that that isn't the case anymore. And I, the other threshold that I found in my career was I was the first, and I'm probably one of the first, let's say, um, female cardiac surgeons to have a child and then continue to to operate at full tilt. And that was a real threshold for me. That was a real threshold for the people around me. Things changed markedly in people's perception. I don't know if they think that my ambition as a surgeon got jettisoned with the placenta or something, but it was just this idea that suddenly I didn't care as much about a private practice. I didn't care about, you know, as much about my career, that somehow it was gonna be too difficult for me. And in a paternalistic way, people were making decisions about referring to me because, oh, well, you might have to do it on the weekend and you've got kids. And I, my my husband at the time was a surgeon and nobody ever asked him those questions or made those assumptions or how do you do it all. No, he said, I've got four kids. No one ever asks me how I do it all. So I think those that for me was another threshold where people assume that you can't do it with children and women assume that if they want children,
0: they can't do it. So... So I see. So you're saying that women who are thinking about being surgeons are putting additional barriers in front of themselves, as well as the ones that society might be placing there. What about the long education pathways to becoming a surgeon? Do you think that that has an impact for women, Vera? Vera?
2: Coming back to the statistic uh, quickly, if we look at sort of medical schools, um, there's over 50% female medical students. um, And of course, you wonder why do they not go that surgical path? And lifestyle and and the long training time, additional training time is is definitely one aspect. They may, as you already said, Victoria, they may not have a female role model where they think everything is possible. You can be a mum and you can be a surgeon. You can be a good surgeon and you can do everything combined, you need to organise yourself. But uh, women are usually sort of quite without that. Um, So I think um, it's really seeing that it is possible and have that female role model. And I must say the the, the, uh, Australasian College of Surgeons and the um, Australian Orthopaedic Association, they have um, done a lot lot of work towards uh, more flexible training conditions. Um, and also a female sort of mentor network um, which which um, is really important for young uh, women to take that path so I think um, yeah more and more needs to go into that but at least these programs um, around where women can refer back uh, can refer back to now which weren't there when when you and I did the training and and flexible training conditions if you do have children that's That's really important. You want to spend maybe, or you want to make that decision to spend six months with your young child and want to stay at home and then not be disadvantaged. And, um, yeah, that's really,
1: really important for those young mums. For me, from the minute I started medical school to the minute I came back from my fellowship as a cardiothoracic surgeon, it was 18 years. Now, if you say that to somebody, they just go, oh, look at all the stuff you can't do and I can't do that and, oh, my God, I can't commit to that. But, of course, it's not like that because you're working towards smaller term goals and, and you don't think of it like that. And I think at first I thought I was just incredibly naive, but, in fact, I think we need to stop young doctors overthinking it. I mean, everything, they have to stream so early now. They have to think about these things and they're trying to make these gargantuan decisions so, so early and and so quickly and they sit there mulling and overthinking everything. And I I didn't, I just assumed that I would get through this and I would work it out. And I still do that. And, And it drives some people nuts, but I, you know, just, you will work it out. It will be able to be done if you just prioritize and think about what you want from your life, but you've got to make the decisions that are right for you. And then the system is much better at fitting around that I remember someone saying to me once, there is no good time to have a child, whether you're a man or a woman. And I've also had male colleagues who have really struggled with the fact that they're in surgical training and they haven't seen their kids. And that, and so I don't think it's just a female conversation. It's about work-life balance. And I, I think there's also this assumption that, you know, I have people come up to me and go, oh my God, you're Superwoman," And I'm like, just, that needs to be just taken out of the lexicon because I'm not. And people say, how do you do it? And it's like, Some days I do it really, really badly and really ugly. And that's just the reality. You can't, you know, everything's not perfect every day. So I think we just need to say to young women, think about firstly what you want to do, what is your passion, what interests you, and let the rest find its own way. It will level out. But if you make decisions based on what you think your life will
0: be in 18 years, they're not going to be good decisions. Vera, are you noticing a, a change in flexible working conditions or particularly things like parental leave? With the flexible training conditions, we actually recently had a few of the male
2: trainees who've taken a parental leave, which I think is such a beautiful <laughs> way to go. And it confirms exactly yeah, what, what has been said before, um, that it's not only a male-female sort of issue here. It is actually a, a parent Sort of issue and and some male colleagues may want to take that opportunity to spend time with their kids so to have that for both genders is beautiful
0: so if you're enjoying these fabulous women surgeons guess what this is the first in a two-part series have a listen to pecky de silva and you'll hear her confirm the views that we've just heard you know if you're a female and you, and you say to people i'm going to be a surgeon you know the first thing they all say to you is a oh, Oh, are you planning to have children? You get this inference that you can't be a surgeon and a mother. That's so not true. We'll publish part two on the 20th of July with surgeons Peggy De Silva and Christine Lay. Make sure you have a listen. Back to Victoria and Vera now. You both happen to work in subspecialties that are particularly underrepresented for women, cardiothoracic and orthopedics. Why do you think that is and what do you think might reverse that trend? Some of it comes from
1: what people perceive the specialty to be from a lifestyle point of view, but also the culture. Um, it's a very small specialty, relatively speaking, a hundred plus or minus um, around the country. So it's a very small, tight community. Um, it is hard to get into, it is competitive. Um, And there are lifestyle things that go along with it. There are, you know, each of our operations goes anywhere from five to seven hours. Sometimes they're all day and half the night operations and it's harder then to curate that to the way you want. So I think there is some of that reality. Um, I do also think, and I I probably, um, I, I could be pulled into line because it's been a while since I've immersed myself but I do know that there were assumptions made about female candidates or female um, females coming into the the cardiothoracic that they would want to go and have children, and then and then we've t- wasted our training, or they won't be able to commit to those long days. When you're in a, a a surgical emergency or a surgical, and it's it's cardiothoracics, you know that that there is a life and death component to that every single day there's this feeling that when things are going wrong, you need to be a certain personality type. It's a very alpha male feel. And I do remember having a conversation once about a female candidate who wanted to get onto the cardiothoracic program. And as you say, Vera, I was in a room of all male surgeons and me. And we were talking about this candidate and I thought she was was great. I thought she had real potential in her, her surgical skills. I thought she handled the wards and the ICU really well. I thought she was really smart. Um, and the conversation when we started, the, the conversation started to go off in the direction of, well, I don't know, she's pretty quiet. Does she really have what it takes? And what they were really saying is she's not like us and she's not that picture of what they thought it should be. And she's a gentle woman. And, and the conversation sort of went further down that path. And I said, that's, that's really interesting that you want to create a, a, a monoculture so I think some of it is is from both sides. Uh, we need to actively seek out, not just assume people will come towards us, but actively seek out and be very public about the fact that we need diversity and we need women and we, we actually, it's not just a nice to have, we need them in our specialty.
2: I wholeheartedly agree to all that. I think the cultural, uh, cultural change which we need does require a redefinition of sort of certain male and female stereotypes. And um, yeah, in orthopedics, unfortunately only 4.8% women, which is really ridiculously low. <laughs> and, um, and, and as you said, Victoria, there, there's sort of, I think it's a lot about the perception of behavior because, and there is, there, there is some evidence um, and some studies have shown that the behavior itself between male and female, so it is not quite as different but the perception is totally different. You know, when women are sort of assertive, that's often seen as um, they are negative or they are aggressive. Where in males, it's they are strong, they are passionate, and um, so it's, it's often the perception. And again, the perception takes a long time to to, to change in that in that culture and that in that environment.
1: That's a really interesting point because I remember being a registrar. And, um, you know, the emergency operating list after I was was a general surgical registrar at the time and I needed to book in an appendix or something. And the emergency jostling for the for the emergency list so that you're not doing your case at 2 a.m. is, oh, mine's more urgent than yours is more urgent than the. And what I found was in my I was a first year registrar and there was this natural tendency to get things done in that environment that that I had to, I I found myself behaving in a way, not not awful, not like rude and abusive or anything, but just being very aggressively sort of alpha male to get that jostling position. And it was a very conscious conversation that I had with myself after I'd had one interaction where I went, "That's, that's that's not who you are. And that's actually not who you want to be. So don't become... What you think is required, which is an alpha male substitute, that's not who you are. Be natural to, to who you are, and you'll get things done in a slightly different way. So I, I think that's a, that's a really good point that you, there is an expectation or a perception of that you have to be. And I, to be honest with you, when I first started, uh, particularly after I had my first child, you know, I came back after eight weeks. I went out of my way to operate right up to 36 weeks, 37, I think it was 38 weeks pregnant. I, I was really naive. And I, my answer to this was, I will prove to you that I am no different. Whereas now my answer is being different is my strength. And that's what we need. And so that's my evolution that has, has happened in the way I have these conversations about women in surgery as well
0: why is equality um in the workplace in surgery particularly important for patient safety because it's, it's not just about oh we need to be uh, have diverse um uh surgical workforce just because that's nice for us as women presumably it's it's much more than that and victoria you've mentioned some of the things about actually um changing the culture uh, rather than being changed yourself because what you bring is something different and important and i'd like to know what what you think starting with you victoria how about about what that might mean for patient safety I think there's been a lot of work done in this and
1: I know the College of Surgeons, you know, I've worked in my executive role, um, you know, with the College of Surgeons around this and we know that if you are a minority, if you are in a culture that where you are a minority, you behave in a slightly different way and people, you're more prone to be behaved to in a certain way and we know that there have been issues in surgery but across, I would say, across health. I see it in nursing, I see it in midwifery, in the culture and the professionalism, and we know that that is related to patient safety. And it was really interesting when I started having conversations um, with medical you know VMOs and staff specialists and senior medical staff, and they would say, "Well, I thought we were having a conversation about culture and this idea of it's nice to be nice. What they didn't realize, you know why are we now having a conversation about patient safety, is that if we know that uh, the there's studies out of Vanderbilt, particularly obviously that people are familiar with, that if you are in the top quartile of patient complaints specifically about behaviors to or you know as surgeons the way we're behaving as surgeons that we have 14 to 15% more surgical complications which are our KPIs that's the reason we do this so when people say i'm behaving as an advocate for the patient or i'm behaving because i want the patient to get the best outcome in fact if you're behaving in a way that is not in that you know is not safe Um, You know, patients are being impacted by that. And I think when you look at women, women are twice as likely to be, you know, um, subjected to bullying, harassment, but also that's the sort of spiky end of it. But there's a lot of enabling and low level behaviours underneath that, like omission um, and all sorts of other things that it means we're twice as likely to be subjected to that behaviour. And therefore, our patients put at risk by our reaction to that or others' reactions to us. So the two are really interlinked. And this has been an incredible leap forward in, I think, understanding safety, behaviour, women in the cultural context. There's quite
2: good evidence um, now that, um, well, female surgeons are definitely as good as as their male colleagues. And there's actually some evidence um, which suggests they may even be better. And there's been recently uh, sort of an article in the British Medical Journal, um, they looked at purely the mortality and readmission of uh, of patients, over 100,000 patients. And um, female surgeons had a lower mortality rate and they didn't quite look into the reasons why that is, but assumptions have been made, yes, possibly sort of female surgeons, because of their training conditions at the time, they may be more resilient, they had to jump more hurdles, they're more communicative, they uh, sort of take more of a patient-centered approach. So that was all the potential sort of reasons for that. And of course, there need to be uh, sort of a lot more work into that. Um, but I think that's, that's a good trend, and, and we, we definitely see the evidence for that as well. And that confirms with with an impression we had um, for a long time, I guess.
0: Mm, Interesting. But presumably, despite being underrepresented in surgery, you are probably working with plenty of other women in your multidisciplinary teams. Medicine or or healthcare is quite feminised in a lot of, you know, there
1: is a, a large proportion of women in my workplace, which I find really great. What does it mean when a woman is not in a role that potentially people are expecting them to be in. And it goes from the almost comical where I walk in with a male nurse and they say they turn to the nurse and say, doctor, and that sort of stuff. But I, I think also it gets a little more into that cultural piece. So I, in my executive role, I do remember looking at two reports. We had um, reports that were saying how someone did something really positive and reports for behaviour that wasn't so great. And there were two that caught my eye because they were both around um, code blues, you know, a sort of a a cardiac arrest call in a hospital. And it was really clear that one was a rewarding thing to say, this this male registrar, he behaved so brilliantly, he took charge, he was calm, he directed people, Um, the outcome was really good, everyone had confidence in him. And similarly there was a, a female version of that, Um, where they were actually putting in a complaint about this person to say um, she was shrill, she was pushy, I didn't like her tone, she was, you know, ordering everybody around. And it was really this cultural construct where what they, I think, were struggling with was somebody taking control of a situation in a way that they were not particularly comfortable with. And I think some of that plays into being a female in a role in a a culture of healthcare where back in the 50s the women in the workplace were subservient to the males in the workplace. That just was a fact. It was very unusual to have a woman in charge, whether it was executive level, ward level, theatre level. And so I think we've still got some really embedded um, cultural norms around that.
0: Yeah, about who, not not so much about the way they're doing it, but who it is who's doing it and their gender. So what you expect of a person really very much goes to Vera's point before about the perception of what is, uh, uh, they might have been two very similar sets of behaviour, but in two people who happen to be of different gender. And I think, you know,
1: in terms of patients, I've had both patients who have said to me, I am so glad you're a woman surgeon operating on me because you're you'll be gentler, your hands will be gentler with me. And I've also I've only it's only happened once where I've actually because the commonest manifestation of it when people are anxious about it has been, so hang on. So you're you're the surgeon. Yes, yes, I'm the surgeon, I'm the you know, but but you're actually going to be doing the surgery. Yes, yes, I'm actually going to be doing the surgery. And only once did it progress to a point where I realized that this man just could not get his his head around this to the point where. I felt he was going to go in being so anxious that it was going to affect him and his anxiety levels were so high. And if anything did, you know, if there were any complications that he was going to have a very different perception of that. And so I've, I did once refer somebody on and just said, would you be more comfortable with a male surgeon? And he was very grateful for that. And that's okay. That's, it's a journey for all of us. But for the most part, as Vera says, it, it can get quite comical. And some days you're in the mood for that and other days you're not. <laughs> There's obviously that, Interesting dynamic, because
2: yes, the, the, the female surgeons are underrepresented, but then the male nurses uh, are underrepresented. So that funny dynamic, which you come across on a daily basis in every hospital, is of course, it does have an effect on the, on the interaction of course it does and and some some things as you said they are comical or you go you you do walk around with the registrar and the patient talks to the registrar until they realize you're the consultant and and all of those things which we've come across uh, which are comical and it's it's i think it is good to laugh about those things and because we can't be too serious about it and we can't think of, think about this issue on a daily basis because our focus is too much on the patient we can't you know it's just distracts us to a certain degree if we only sort of thrive for that all the time. Um, but, but it, and, and in reality, uh, like over the over years and years I've thought it is in a way a privilege to be underestimated rather than, you know, so I, ha- I think that's, that has been, it's actually a good thing at times.
0: So there are many reasons why someone might or might not choose to be a surgeon, but their gender ought not be one of them. So, So finally, what's working well, or what changes would you like to see in surgery?
2: In general, um, a lot of things work well, so we don't want to be too sort of pessimistic today. I think um, if we if we work in a surgical team in the in the operating theatre, we often see quite a diverse team, um, and that functions well and works well. And we do know that diversity, um, sort of in terms of a functional sort of well-balanced, diverse team um, is good for the patient's care. So that, that works well. Coming back to what I initially said, um, looking around a room at an audit meeting, I would like to see 50% women. And... Um, that would be nice, and if we hopefully sort of achieve that goal at some stage, uh, that'd be lovely to see and encourage our junior doctors who again want to take that path um, and um and have a passionate passion for for surgery and for orthopedics that we encourage and support them along the way and and be there for them when they need a mentor, be them be there for them that when they have questions um, and facilitate their training with um with flexible training conditions those things i think uh, i would like to see and the other thing we haven't talked about was encourage women to take leadership roles i think that's really important um and uh, victoria you you obviously have taken quite a lot of leadership roles in, in in your career but it is important that we position women into those leadership roles because then they it's easier it facilitates a change a lot easier that's sort of my my approach i think that's what i want to see a lot more and it's not so much the boys club where um you know they recommend each other they vote for each other and it stays that boys club it's really important to um yeah position or encourage more
1: women to take leadership positions I, i think if you'd asked me this question Ten years ago, I would have given a really different answer, and I know there'll be people who probably don't agree with what I'm about to say. But I, I think that we have been so positive in trying to put ourselves out there as female surgeons, and and the College of Surgeons are working towards that. And to a degree, it's it's working, but I don't think it's worked. You know, to your point, Vera, there's four point three percent orthopaedic surgeons I think that hasn't changed in forever I don't think cardiothoracics has changed in a long time it's very sort of slow grind and I think we saw that in corporate Australia and boards and I I sit on a number of boards and I at one point was getting approached to sit on boards because I was a woman and my initial reaction was to recoil from that Um, and now I think I had a conversation with a a woman uh, corporate person that changed my my outlook on that. And I think there's a couple of things I would like to see. And the first is if you look at women in surgery, they are outstanding women. These women are exceptional. And when you look at them coming through, you're just blown away by these women. And you look at men, male surgeons, and it runs the whole gamut. You have some incredibly outstanding high achievers, but you also have some really solid, you know very kind of average surgeons who are still great performers but they're not those outstanding world beating i would like to see that where you don't have to be an outstanding overachieving kick butt woman to actually be a female surgeon that you can you know you you can really progress and it makes me think that it is still really hard i guess or harder Then if you want to divert off into another pathway, you might find it easier. So that's the first thing. Uh, I think we have to prepare women for what the reality is. I I grew up in a school and a household that taught me that anything was possible. You can be an astronaut, you can be a surgeon. It was great. I came out all guns blazing, but when I got hit by the reality, I I was not prepared for it. I was not prepared for the fact that the world didn't think I could necessarily be a cardiac surgeon. Um, So I think being really realistic, and, and then partnering and walking alongside women on that journey. And then I think the most controversial thing that's taken me a long time to come to terms with is quotas. And I know that the College of Surgeons have done a lot of work on this and, and continue to have those conversations, whether it's in Indigenous surgery or women in surgery. And I think I used to be absolutely against it. In fact, when I, I remember my then boyfriend, who was soon my ex-boyfriend at the time when I got into cardiothoracics and I got the letter and I was jumping around going, I can't believe it. He said, well, of course you got in. You're a woman and they're trying to up their women. You know, they're, they're trying to meet a quota. Um, so that for me had always been the attitude is I don't want to be the woman that gets put in anywhere because I'm a woman, because then I've got, already got that asterisk next to my name. But as I was going through and I was having this conversation with people about actually it was in relation to Indigenous because I was doing some work in Indigenous surgery and someone said to me, the the problem with your attitude is, is you've already told me that you're doing everything that the men are doing, you're doing it in the same way or as Vera said, maybe better than what the men are doing but you're assuming you're being judged the same way for those results as a male and you're assuming that it's a meritocracy. And it's just not at the moment. Will it be? We hope. But in the meantime, do we need to supplement that? And we're seeing that in boards around Australia where there are, and there is an expectation of a certain number of women. And it's almost like once they have the women in the building, they realise instead of just being told that that diversity brings richness, they're seeing it, they're feeling it, they're hearing it. And it becomes a self-propagating process. So there's a nuanced conversation that needs to go on about quotas, but I think we need to be really clear that what we're doing is not working quickly enough.
0: And I do think it needs a kickstart. Well, what a whirlwind ride we have had today with you providing us a, a really eye opening glimpse into the world of female surgery I think you offer so much as excellent surgeons, but you also represent really important change towards greater representation of women, which is important for patients and families, of course, but also for young girls and women to, to, to continue to tell them that all doors are open to them. So thank you both for what you do and for being with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you, it was a pleasure. And it's been great to be with another great bunch of women on,
0: on this call today. And thank you for listening to Taking Care. Don't forget to tune in to part two of this conversation with female surgeons, which will come out on the 20th of July. And please keep in touch with us at communications at opera.gov.au and be sure to subscribe by by searching for Taking Care in your podcast player. We have some really great, um, interesting conversations in our back catalog. So have a look and we'll see you next time.